This show is presented by who, Steve Dagle? Manscaped. When you're done shoveling the snow outside, shovel the snow off your balls. That wasn't in the script, was it? Nope, it wasn't. Use the code DANGLE for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Let's get it started. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Steve Dangle Podcast, powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? The Steve Dangle Podcast, with your hosts, Steve Dangle, Adam Wilde, and Jesse Blake. Steven, it's just you and me today. It was really good. I like that yeah. your show, yeah, nobody heard that, but I did the intro myself uh, mm. in my terrible singing voice. All right, Steve Dago, it's just you and me today because Adam Wilde is very ill. Yes, I don't know. something. I don't know if he's going to be good to go for tomorrow. Yeah, I think it'll be another one of these kids table episodes, just you and I. Mm -hmm. And and before this, before this, um, I was watching something that I don't think anybody knew was on because you clearly didn't. It was the World Cup. And I was telling Steve about how, hey, this might have been the greatest World Cup match ever. And what did you ask me, Steve? Who won? <laughs> You're, the World Cup on your radar is just, it's not existed. I, um, it was an appointment viewing for me. I needed to catch up on sleep more than I needed to catch the opening kickoff of this World Cup. So I did. Um, I saw that it was good. And usually I would tune in partway through to a good game that everyone is watching. I've, I've been doing that with a lot of NHL games this year. I've been tuning in partway through some basketball games as well. Um, just when I can. I didn't think I could because I was reading as prep for this show. And you were not. <laughs> you were watching the World Cup. I think, I think when the gr- greatest World Cup final match of all time is going on, there's reason to delay a show by a couple minutes. That's the prep. That's that's the prep, you know. That's there. a part of a part of this gig is is tuning in to see Messi lift the World Cup trophy and Bappy score a hat trick. Mm. It was a hat trick, Steve. Wow. Yeah. Luckily, it, he didn't score four goals, or we had to take back all the hats. That's right. Was it decided in penalties? It was. Doesn't count. <laughs> Doesn't count. I don't acknowledge. Any championship decided by penalties. I'm sorry. We have this debate every single time, yeah. whether it's the Olympic finals, which uh, or or it's um, the World Cup finals, and they go to penalties. You don't like it. Don't acknowledge. But what what if they play forever and there's never a goal? 
That has never happened ever. That's true. Because there's penalties. Yeah, but also like it solved a problem that didn't exist to pull a quote from Gary Bettman. There, there is no game from 1873 that is still going on in 2022. Players died and they had to bring on living subs in order to find a winner. It's never happened. Never, not once. Do you, Let them play. Do you subscribe to the tradition of it all? Because soccer traditionalists are fine with the penalty kicks. They're, they're wrong. Who's more wrong than the traditionalists of any sport? The tradition. Oh, you mean just leave it? If you call them the leave-its of the sport, then they're much easier to dismiss. The traditionalists of hockey and baseball and basketball and soccer, the leave-its, the leave-its, shut up. I don't dismiss. I don't care what your opinion is. Don't care. It seems like this argument always comes from the non-soccer, hardcore soccer fan, though. seems like the hardcores are like, yes... This is the way our sport is solved. We do the penalty kicks at the end of it all. We do the extra time and then the extra time on top of that. And if we don't solve it, that's penalty kicks. And it seems like the outsiders always come into the game and be like, it doesn't count because you did penalty kicks and you didn't even watch the game. Yeah, well, so here's the interesting thing with soccer, though, coming at it from a hockey perspective. In hockey, we're talking about ways to improve the sport because we need people to watch it. Soccer doesn't have that problem. They have the opposite so, problem. Yeah, they can. The, it's the one sport where maybe the traditionalists are right on account of you can't improve on Biest. It is the number one sport in the world. I think they got it figured out. That being said, it's a shame how often their uh, championship uh, deciders uh, are invalid. <laughs> invalid. Well, you said it was a great game and it was yeah. decided in penalties. Boo, fart, tomato. Boo, fart, tomato. Doesn't count. Do it again. Start from opening kickoff. Boo, fart, tomato. Doesn't count. It's funny, too, because I think the penalty kicks gave us a fair result. Like, I yeah. feel like Argentina deserved the win there, and they, they got it in penalty kicks. Would have been better if they got it in overtime. It would have been, but they couldn't hang on to a 2-0. They had a 2-0 lead, and then they blew it. They had a 3-2 lead, and then they blew it. Very good game. Hmm. Poor Enix. <laughs> Could not be less interested in World Cup soccer. Steve oh, yeah. Dangle, everybody. What force they- the goalie to stand on the line. And boo. Is there any more boring piece of crap thing in sport than penalty kicks in soccer? Boo. Boo. Oh, no. The player only has like an 80% likelihood of making this. Boo. Play think- the game. Boo. The 80% likelihood is kind of what makes it so much fun. Yeah, you're waiting for you're not even waiting for a save. You're waiting for someone to miss the net. There miss was the an biggest incredible net save. in professional sports. There was like, an incredible save. Oh, I bet in there these was penalty kicks. Boo. Boo. Uh shootout, take it away in the NHL. Yeah. It's not hockey. Boo. Get rid of it. Yes, I saw the Tamu Hardikainen clip. I don't need to see it again. Boo. He missed. Like Yeah. Oh man, did you see this guy do this thing? That you saw on Instagram like three years ago? Boo! <laughs> and he missed! Boo! I don't care! Just show me something he did in overtime. Show me something he did in the third period. It's a shootout. How th- that's the most watched shootout miss in NHL history. Boo. For anybody Ask me about it. something else people like, and I'll say boo. <laughs> For anybody who hasn't <laughs> seen it, um, uh, he did the, the Zorro. 
where you do the one-handed flick back with the stick and then you flick the puck with the uh as you do a one-handed swing with the puck. I don't know. I can't describe it. But is that it was not, crazy impressive. Is that not what Trevor Zegers did at the All-Star game? Or no, he yes. did like a spinning Zorro. Yeah, yeah. He did he did a version of it as well in one of his All-Star game shootouts. Yeah. He's goofy. He's, Trevor Zegers is unbelievable. Yeah, he's like, absolutely uh, Bauer, they're his his sponsor, and they do some like side videos with him where they just get, hey, Z- here's Zegers doing stupid things that you can't even yep. fathom, and he does them so casually, it's scary. I'm excited for the um, the Instagram hockey generation to uh, start making the OHL in the show, because the Michigan is going to be a nightly thing. Mm-hmm. Zorro is going to be a nightly thing. There's 50 variables uh, or variants of the Michigan now. Like pe- People can... Uh, hockey sticks in five, six years are going to have magnets in them. Anyway, It's they'll figure it out. They'll figure yeah. it out. I like the fake Michigan where it looks like you're doing the Michigan and then your teammate comes behind and does a traditional wraparound. Like mm-hmm. those are always uh, tricky because like I, I appreciate the effort of going the extra mile where your teammates in sync with you and then you fool the goalie and he's looking for the Michigan. He's got his blocker up top, up top yeah. and you get the free wraparound. Like it's incredible what these kids are doing. I won't stop until hockey is no adapting to your surroundings and it's all exclusively set plays. It's just exclusively set plays that can fit in a in a vine, you know, not even a TikTok of vine, and, and that's it. I don't care even who won the game, who had the the who had the the move with the most riz, you know, yes. right? You should get a goal by how many views on TikTok you get. There it is. <laughs> there it is. We found it. Yeah, we found it. Brendan Gallagher, Hart Trophy candidate in the National Hockey League. Let's go. And what would hockey traditionalists say about that? Oh, I bet they would say no. I bet they would say no. Here's a fun idea. Well, no. Whatever, Grandpa. Boom. That's that's all I need. I need a boom. Boom. Boo. Boo, tomato. Bart. So on Saturday night, we didn't get to talk about the Thursday game, which was the greatest game of the season for (laughs) my uh, New York Rangers. You guys were sick on Friday. Uh, that's why we're recording on Sunday, for context. And you denied me my chance to wear my uh, Artemi Panarin jersey in studio. So the next time the Leafs play the Rangers, I'll break that out. And they'll inevitably win that game as well. You can uh, wear it whenever you want. Rangers gave it to the Leafs on Thursday. And then on Saturday, Eric Gustafson showed up for the hat trick. When everybody thought Alexander Ovechkin was going to score a hat trick, Eric Gustafson said, no. Remember me? I'm a guy. And Steve, so, a lot of people don't know that Eric Gustafson has a resume of doing this. This is a guy who's done this before in the National Hockey League. And everybody, all these, all these Leafs fans, including myself, sat there on Saturday and said, what the, who is this guy? How did he just put up a hat trick? Where did this shot come from? But you, Steve, went the extra mile in your LFR, and you explained to us that Eric Gustafson does indeed have this resume. Can you tell us who the hell hat trick gusty is so before i throw this information out there you watch the lfr where i said it did you know any of the things that i mentioned no i had no idea you had no I, idea I watched who this the entire was. game and i learned all that stuff afterwards when i was watching the lfr he played most of a playoff series against the leafs i'm pretty sure in uh 2021 you don't remember him at all Mm-mm. nothing Mm-mm. not a thing nope. so last night 
was the 341st game of Eric Gustafson's NHL career. He has played exclusively in the NHL. I was wrong. I said since 2017-18. It's actually since 2018-19 because in 17-18, he split between the NHL and the AHL. Um, he was a fourth-round pick of the Edmonton Oilers in 2012. So 10 years ago, he's 30 years old. Um, never played a game for them. That's how you know he's good. Uh, Oilers just did a bang-up job in the 2012 draft. His first season with Chicago, 41 games played, no goals, 14 assists. But you see the potential. His second season, 17-18, he only plays 35 games for Chicago, but it was an impressive 35 games. As a defenseman, five goals, 11 assists, 16 points. It's about a half a point a game defenseman, and he shows evidence that he could potentially hit double digits in goals. The next season, in 79 games, 17 goals and 60 assists. He's never hit more than 26 since. But this dude had prime Eric Carlson numbers one year as a relatively mid-20s, like in his prime defenseman. And within two years, he was practically out of the league. Uh, because I guess he's not good defensively or something. I don't know a ton about the player, uh, but yeah, here he is, came came into this game, 31 games played, no goals, and he has a hat trick. And you could say what you want about the Leafs defense last night or Simsonov last night. That third goal, the hat trick goal, was a frigging rocket. And I hope that was an indicator to a number of Leaf fans. Oh, this might be a guy who knows what he's doing. Dude, 60 points. He might have led defensemen in, in points that year. I'm going to look it up. There's no way. 18-19? 18, you think he led all defensemen in, in points with 60? I think he was top five. I'm looking it up right now. I, right. I love the remote episodes because then I get to look. Yeah, because we, we forbid you from being on a computer in studio. Yeah, but you now never, you would never talk to us. The long arm of the law, <laughs> a.k.a. Jesse's arm, uh, can't interfere with me anymore. Um, Did right. he lead, lead defenseman in scoring? My bet is he's top 10, but not top five. One, two, three. Six. He was sixth. What did I just say? It nailed it. Brent Burns was top. Mark Giordano was second. Morgan Riley was third. Love that. Followed by John Carlson, who is his teammate now. Keith Yandel, who is on television. And Eric Gustafson, who is one point ahead of the mighty Tyson Berry. You can forgive us, though, Stephen, us lay people who no. did not know about Eric Gustafson because he's played parts of seasons the last three three years since that Chicago Blackhawks year where he had the 60 points. He's been on several different teams. He's kicked the, He's barely been able to stay in a lineup full time. Yeah. And he had zero goals coming into this. It's it's painfully leafy. Like I'm I'm the Leafs have lost back-to-back games for the first time in Yonks. That that was their Worst game in quite some time, but they've built up the goodwill that we don't give them crap for it. But two goal game from Jimmy VC, you can't tell me that's not a little leafy. 
And then a hat trick goal from a dude with, or a hat trick performance from a dude with no goals. And even worse, someone goes, Steve, when was the last time a defenseman got a hat trick against us? And I'm pretty sure the answer is Mark Pissick with the Florida Panthers, who during that game was playing as the seventh defenseman. He was playing as a forward on the fourth line and the dude had a hat trick. So, Are you worried about, at all about the the offense sputtering a little versus the Rangers and the Capitals? I I'm a bit concerned. Mm, I'm less concerned about the Rangers performance. Um Even this one, they looked perfectly as advertised in the second period after allowing that 3-1 goal, but they looked like they should be a team that comes back and wins this game. Um, They didn't. Charlie Lindgren was great. Um, I was surprised by their very sudden, I'll say, uh, defensive collapse. Their strength over the last six weeks has been how they defend and how they give their goalies easy nights. And Sinsonov did not have an easy night last night at all, whether whether you think he should have had one or two of those or not. Um, they, uh, I was very proud of this. During the stream last night on Sportsnet, I said, it feels like the Leafs have more scoring chances, but the Caps have the more dangerous ones. And I don't know what the final tally was, but uh, Robert Malloy, uh, who works on those streams, got me the stat that the Leafs were indeed outchancing the Capitals, but the Caps had the more wide open opportunities or the, the, they had more high danger scoring chances. So that's how I saw it. Um, they need to tighten up in front of their own net. And that second line is a bad game. I think it's perfectly fair to say it was a bad game. I thought both lines in the bottom six look fine which means your top six is letting you down. And uh, Tavares and Marner are not able to cook with Dennis Malgin. I'm sorry. I, I am just about done with that. I know it's out of necessity, um, but I'm I'm just about done with that. Yeah, and it, to me, it reminded me a lot of the first eight games where the Leafs get killed in transition. They get yeah. beat towards the other end all the time. And it seemed like, especially in the Rangers game where the Rangers played such tight defense that that whenever there's a breakaway the other side, they're just able to spring it and get a scoring opportunity. And same with the Caps, whenever there's a chance the other way. I think that's why it seemed like there were so many high-danger scoring chances for the Caps because every time they broke out of the zone, it seemed like they had an opportunity where it's like three-on-two or four-on-three, and they have, a, they have a clear shot at the net. And I hope that the Leafs clean that up because... Obviously, in the last 15 games, it's been okay. It's been fine. But yeah. these are, it's not going to be like that the entire season. And these games where they lose, they really need to limit these rush chances. No. And the, the Leafs have played so well that they deserve to go into the break feeling good about themselves. You got two games left, guys. Two games left. You got a home game against Tampa. That's going to be really tough. And then you got an afternoon game. Last game before Christmas against Philadelphia. They're rolling out the red carpet for you to feel good about yourselves heading into the break. 
You don't worry too much about this little speed wobble. You get it back on track and we all have a Merry Christmas, but you still got two games left, guys. Don't take your eyes off the road. And we're going to get to Philadelphia a little later in the show with Kevin Hayes being scratched and Keith Yandel going at John Tortorella on Instagram. We're also going to get to Dave Jackson's tweet thread about how the Situation Room works. And we're going to get to the Hockey Canada news that broke today, actually. So convenient for our recording. But first, we must do You Can Bet That with Sports Interaction. You Can Bet That with David Bastel. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. There's a little section under hockey, and it's called Dangles Doozies. And these Dangles Doozies are some crazy bets that you can place on different hockey things, especially Leafs things. And Steve, I want to run through some of your Dangles Doozies. Because Mm. in that section, Sports Interaction has posted... Maple Leafs regular season player props. They have over-unders on goal totals for a bunch of Leafs. And I want to run down these, and I want to see if you're over or under these numbers. John Tavares, 36 and a half goals. Even odds on both sides, so no real advantage. You go over-under. 36 and a half. I'm going to say. What are you thinking? JT, captain. I'm going to say under just because that line is struggling right now. William Nylander, 42 and a half goals. I think I have over on that one. You have over? I think so. Goal season from Willie. Mitch Marner, 31 and a half goals. Over. Alex Kerfoot, 10 and a half goals. I saw that one. That's so insulting. <laughs> Under. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? Dude, he scored two goals once. I'm not going to be fooled. <laughs> I know he's struggling, but like Kerfoot can put together an 11 goal season. Yeah. Boo. With Boo. who? The Ducks? Get traded. I'm taking the over Ooh. on that so easily. All right, Ooh. Michael Bunting, 16 and a half goals. I think I have the over on that. You have over? So 17 goals. I think that's a lot for Bunting. And let's run down some of the points. JT, 79 and a half. Over. Ooh, that's steep. Mitch Marner, 99 and a half. Over. Austin Matthews, 101 and a half. Over. <laughs> oh, okay. Screw it. W- Willie, 85 and a half. Over. <laughs> Kerfoot. Over. Okay. Wait, wait. What was his? 33 and a half. Oof. My, how many does he have? Right now? I don't have. Let me tell you. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look it up. You got it? Kerfeet. Kerfeet currently has 15. 15. Points. Oh, yeah. Over, over, over. Okay, so far you've went over on everyone. Uh, yeah, Michael Bunting. Over! 55 and a half. 55 and a half. Yeah, over. I'm cheering for the Leafs. I don't care. <laughs> it's, you really think? Okay, last one. Matt Murray. 920.5 save percentage. 
This is something you can bet on, his save percentage. Will it finish as higher than 920.5, so a 921, or a 920, 920 and a half over under? So I felt really bad about this, but this this is one where I bet against the Leafs. Um, and it's got nothing to do with Matt Murray and me not liking him. He is currently... Why does HockeyDB not have his NHL stats for this year? Oh, there it is. He's a 924 right now. That's so high. And he could have a really good year and still finish below that. That's that's why I have him as an under. Look how far down Samsonov's save percentage fell after one bad game. Like here, let me let me look that up. Samsonov. He had a 939. He's at a 929. So it went down by 0.1. That's a that's a big drop in right. one game because he's only played 12 games and Murray I think has played even fewer. 11. Yeah, so it's going to come down from the 924. We can't expect it to be there all season. He could have a great season and, and still not achieve the over on that. That's so high. That's yeah. so high. No, I think uh, I think you're right on that. And I think you're wrong on a lot of those over-unders where you just took the over on everybody. But you Screw can, it. You could bet on... A, you've, you've bet on a lot of these because I know uh, you you've, you were looking at these and placing your bets. So, And if you want to place your bets, you go to sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Hit up Dango's doozies. Look at all the Leafs props we got there, uh, including all of these over-unders that we just ran through. Content warning for the next portion of the podcast, we do describe instances of sexual assault. The content may not be suitable for all audiences. So this weekend, there were two Hockey Canada stories that came out on Friday slash Saturday-ish. We learned that Hockey Canada uh, finished their re- or their search for new board members. They, were, they fired the entire board, as we know, uh, over the course of the summer, and they were looking for, for new board members who were going to serve a year on the board to try and rebuild this organization that has been uh, burned to the ground, rightfully so. But yeah, an easy way to get into this is, is just talk about the board members that Hockey Canada has revealed, which includes uh, retired Judge Hugh L. Frazier. He's their new chair. Um, Cassie Campbell Pascal is one of eight of directors of the new board, and a whole bunch of other names. If I just list them off, you probably wouldn't, you probably wouldn't be very familiar with them, so I'll spare you that. But yeah, this new board, they're going to serve a year's term, uh, and then they're going to find a new board after them. They can also reapply if they want to continue on the board, but this will hopefully uh, be the the group of people, eight individuals, that will rebuild Hockey Canada. Their first order of business is to hire a new CEO. So that's that's going to be their job. That's what they're getting done in the next few months. Uh, as they as they take their new stance as the Hockey Canada board. And then today, we received a piece of reporting from Robin Doolittle, uh, who looked into the court filings by the London police. So the London police, they, they submitted their filing to the Ontario Court of Justice. And in this report, we've learned a whole bunch of new things about the sexual assault that took place in June of 2018. Uh, In this investigation, London police believe that there are five individuals that they can reasonably charge 
with sexual assault uh, against the complainant. Uh, she's referred to as EM in the court documents. Um, the five that they that they have is an interesting number. The the five individuals that they think they can reasonably charge with sexual assault because within the um, filing to the Ontario Court of Justices, it is reported that there were eight or nine individuals in the room, but they have only uh, have five that they can charge. The five individuals in the in the court filings have been redacted. Their names are not known, and a lot of we're a lot of people are playing the guessing game. You can you can reasonably uh, get the get the number down to whatever number you want. It's 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 not. I don't think it's it's right for us to do that until the names are released. Once this investigation is out there, um, like we're not going to play the guessing game like that. But no, it once they're criminally charged. It's great that hockey fans will know, and it seems like there's going to be five individuals here who, if they're in the NHL, they're going to lose their jobs because can't really be working for a team once you're, you're charged with sexual assault, especially in a case like this. So that'll be good for fans of teams to know, like, hey, if you got a jersey of a guy and he's involved in this and he's one of those five slash nine individuals, you probably don't want that jersey. So I'm happy if there's if there's criminal charges here and the names get out just for the fans' sake that they can not cheer for these players and um and just just for their peace of mind in in those instances if the names ever do get out there. Um, yeah. It's a 94 page document. We learn of some more details of the events that took place that night. Um, EM went to a bar uh, with her friends. She met player number one. Uh, who was there was a new individual also inserted into this case he is an older M -M. gentleman yeah. who's who's referred to as mm in these court documents his job is described as somebody who is there to shepherd the hockey canada team players at events like this his role is just to be at events he was amongst uh these individuals em and player number one he is alleged to have fed em shots and told her to take care of player number one. That is a quote if, from if you, the complaint. Go ahead, Steve. If you want, I can read that full quote. Sure, read the quote there. Because I think this is highly relevant because this is a new person in the whole equation and I have some thoughts. In her interview uh, with Detective Newton, EM said that she saw an older, well-dressed man hanging around player one and his friends at Jack's. In the application, he is referred to as MM and identified as a person whose occupation requires him to attend functions such as this, whatever the hell that means. EM told police this man was complimenting player one and told EM to take care of him. She said he was... Uh, uh, buying rounds for the group and at one point poured a Jaeger bomb shot in her mouth. The application shows MM spoke with police in August 2022, but it notes he didn't remember much. Mm -hmm. So this police investigation, as we continue running down some of the uh, revelations that Robin Doolittle uh, puts in her article about the court filing by London police, it's one of three investigations that are ongoing and the NHL was waiting for something like this to happen before they completed their investigation, because obviously there's going to be things that London police can find out that the NHL can't. So that's why there's kind of a holding pat pattern on Hockey Canada's own investigation on what happened in 2018 and on the NHL's investigation, what happened, because this is going to be the most 
in-depth investigation. It's the one that's going to result in the criminal charges against the individuals if it comes to that. So there's there's so much here. Yeah. Right. So basically what happened? uh, There was there was an alleged incident. Hockey Canada became aware. Uh, This woman went to the police. Uh, Hockey Canada settled with her. Uh, and that's how she got all this money. And that's how this all started, right? This, uh, this very swift downfall of everything to do with hockey Canada on the criminal end, though, there were no guarantees that anything was even going to happen. Even when the London police reopened their investigation. The article begins, police investigators in London, Ontario, say they have reasonable grounds to believe that five members of the 2018 World Junior Hockey Team sexually assaulted a woman in a hotel after a Hockey Canada fundraising gala, a recent uh, filing to the Ontario Court of Justice indicates. A lot of cases do not even get this far. So they must have an abundance of reasonable evidence. to even get to this stage. Yeah, and and here, it's here, a huge development. Let me finish uh, kind of summarizing her the the new info we got here. So yeah, we 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 ended off at like MM and EM, they're they're at the bar and player number one is there. Um we know that she goes back to with player number one to the hotel. Uh they have consensual sex. Now we know that player number one texted um, the the other players to come to the room, and a lot of reason of this this filing, the reason that the London police have filed this with the Ontario Court of Justice is, is because they are trying to get the details of these finer details in the story. So those text messages, they've obtained them, but they don't have the right to review them just yet. So these, t- so the court filing happens by London police so that they can get approval from a judge to look at the text messages that player one sent to the other players that brought them to the room that then led to the sexual assault. So once London police get this this approval, they'll be able to do more investigation, as well as something like searching the hotel. So we learned in this filing, too, that the hotel where the sexual assault allegedly took place denied the police entry to look at the at the hotel room to corroborate that with the videos that were recorded that that night because there are several 6 second to 12 second videos of EM in that room that night um providing uh consent that she says wasn't really consent of of uh, and recording of the sexual acts in the room and the police have yet to to look at the room to look at the evidence of uh, of those videos and compare I found that extremely it. odd Yes, I I, th- I thought that was very odd as well that the hotel would refuse the police entry without a warrant and just based on the case here. But now that the police have filed uh, their report, that they will get that access to the hotel room. Um, I think I don't think there were any other new revelations. There are more details on the actual. Um, events that were in the room, like we get a more detailed uh, look at how the night went down. Graphic. But yeah, yeah. and more graphic detail. But Steve, anything else you want to point out? 
the there was a revelation in there and i and i can't read you the entire article it is behind a paywall for the globe and mail um listen if if you subscribe you don't have to be subscribed forever i wasn't i'm I'm not gonna lie i was subscribed i wasn't for a while and i resubscribed in order to uh read this article because they thought it was important uh the globe and mail also offers it so that um when you click on an article if you're too lazy to read it as i often am you can click this narrator at the top and it'll actually read it to you but the the thing i didn't know i thought this passage was really odd uh throughout the night at jack's bar em told the detective player one kept trying to convince her that his name was something else this was strange to her because she kept hearing his group of friends referring to him as blank the application says. So, I mean, that seems like a fancy way of saying he was faking his identity to a girl he was looking to have sexual relations with, which is mm-hmm. always a, a red flag, I think is fair uh, to It's, it's call. sketchy, to say the least. E- yeah. Um, the other one is this MM character. Uh, I don't know to what extent they are involved. Um, I don't know to what extent they knew what was going on, um, but they were definitely a factor in getting her intoxicated. Um, He encouraged her to... Sounds like he encouraged her to hook up with his client or a friend of his client. Um, And I say client because... The term agent is so vague and I've met people who have introduced themselves to me as this player's agent and I go and look it up and no, they're not. Um, now, were they lying to me? They weren't necessarily lying to me. There's, there's a difference between a player agent and a guy who maybe goes out and gets you certain kinds of deals and then there are all these guys, these hangers on that you might call fixers. Um, I don't know if this person is a player agent, a deal getter, or a fixer, um, but sounds like an agent of some sort. And that's so highly relevant to the story because are there then repercussions for this agent? You know, these players are going to potentially have their careers taken away. And at the end of it, we may find rightfully so, right? Like you said, you don't want to be cheering for them. You don't want to be wearing their jerseys. If this agent is found to have had X, Y, and Z to do with this incident, and your favorite player is represented by them, you might have something to say. Yep. If if that makes sense. Um, this is an extremely, extremely uh, messy story. And this one, I don't know if I knew this detail specifically. I feel like I knew a version of this detail. This is the last thing I want to read from the article. Sometime between 1.30 and 2 a.m., EM said that Player One announced, we are leaving now. So this is when they're at the bar. We are leaving now. And the pair took a taxi to the Delta Armory's hotel. Once in this room, they engaged in consensual sex. EM told the detective that when they had finished, she noticed player one texting on his phone. 
Two of his friends entered the room not long after. She went to the bathroom and returned to find player one gone and approximately seven or eight guys in the room with her. Player one later returned with food. The accusation, the way I read it, is this girl was essentially brought back to this player's room under false pretenses. They had consensual sex, and he essentially feeds her to his friends as he goes on a food run. And there's another line later in the article that speaks to what happened after he texts them. So the London police are going to review those text messages. But according to the application, player two, so um, one player amongst the seven or eight individuals that entered the room once player one went down to go get his chicken wings, because we learned that he had chicken wings on the bed. That's what he went down to go get. Sure. He engaged in sex acts with EM, and this is a quote, without speaking with her. The, so after, that's it. After player one goes, goes, he leaves the room, he texts all his friends, seven or eight of them show up. Player two engaged in sex acts with EM without speaking with her. So you can, you can deduce what you want from, from that, but that's the information that London police have on how that went down that night with player one and EM and all of the other players that entered the room following that. These things move slowly and then they move quickly. Um, we had a lot of action uh, happening on this story for a while um, after it was dormant for several years, right? We didn't know about this until about four years after the fact, almost, um, or over three years after the fact. Now this is out there. And I wonder how fast the rest of this goes. How fast does this make it to court? Uh I'm sure players are going to make every attempt to get this pushed. Um, well, probably to get it thrown out, but they're going to try to get it pushed to the summer. Um, I don't know if a judge would find that to be reasonable. Are they going to then have to go through this court process mid season? I, I think we may be on the precipice of an explosion here. Yeah, you're you're so right about how these things kind of just go super quiet and then they start screaming because we are in a holding pat- pattern here for a couple months as all of these organizations did their investigations and now that they've come to a conclusion, we're going to get more and more of these stories coming out over the next weeks and months and like I think courts always take breaks over the holidays and that sort of stuff, so maybe the news starts picking up in in January and all that, but Expect more of this news coming out in the in the next little while, and expect these individuals to um, be be interviewed more, and 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 the investigations to con- continue. Yeah. Oh, and the your uh, your point off the top, and maybe I'll end with this. I think a lot of people are going to be confused by the number five. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact there were five players. It was initially reported eight, and then I heard eight but it's really seven and a half or seven. Mm-hmm. Um, I think and the there police is... have, have, have narrowed it down to eight or nine individuals in the room and five who will, who they have reasonable um, evidence to charge. Right. So there's a lot of broken telephone. And uh, I think if you're in the hockey world, it'd be impossible to not hear several different versions of this story um, and whispers and, and all that. 
there is some confusion about who was there and uh, who was there as an observer and who was there as a participant. So police have obviously come to the conclusion that there are five concrete participants. And then I guess we'll find out about the, what, what is it? The three or four yeah. others mm-hmm. potentially involved in this situation, extremely messy, but the fact that they feel like they have enough evidence to proceed even further than they already have is that's a massive reveal in the story. Oh yeah. And, and yeah, just to, to, to end this and then we'll move on to the Philadelphia flyers uh, on a, in a sharp turn. Um, yeah. yeah, I think like from this perspective, I think about it from the fans. Like I'm not like that's that's what I think about. Is like okay, these fans want to know these people because they don't because a lot of this is is we're rooting for teams. We get behind these these players, and you don't want to root for people who are involved in things like that. So there's a right to know for fans, and we'll see how this ends. Like I don't know how these proceedings go, but. From that perspective, like there's a reason fans want to know. If I'm if I have a jersey of this guy, like I'm I'm getting rid of that jersey. You know, I'm not rooting for this this player anymore. And I think that that's fair from a, from a fan perspective. A hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, we'll uh, we'll leave that there. We're gonna have more news. Uh, we're gonna keep covering it in the the weeks and months as as the story evolves, it grows, and we're gonna move now to the Flyers scratching their leading scorer. Kevin Hayes. So John Tortorella, his his job is to kick players in the butt. And not not literally, he he just metaphorically to get them going. So his idea with Kevin Hayes, who based on Flyers reporters, hasn't been playing too great of defense. His scoring has been there. Clearly, he is leading this the the team in scoring. 29 but, points in 31 games on a team that's not very good. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. But it's minus defense, twelve. And what? Minus twelve. <laughs> minus twelve. And the giveaways have been um his fifteen giveaways, which is pretty high for him at this point in the season. Um and and John Tortorella said this about scratching him. He said, It's kind of a big picture in my mind. As far as team concept, I'll put it to you this way. I can't keep looking by things. Just because we're worried about scoring, I've got to look at the big picture of what this team is going to be, what the standard is, of how we have to play. That far outweighs losing some offense in a particular game. I'll give you that. So he's saying Kevin Hayes isn't trying on the defensive end. He's putting up numbers, but he's not trying. So I'm going to scratch him, and I'm going to see what that does. Steve, what do you think? Listen, everyone. I don't know what you're acting so shocked about. John Tortorella is not the head coach of the Philadelphia Flyers to win hockey games. Not this year. Maybe next year. Not this year. Not a chance. Connor Bedard is at stake and all that. But let's say they don't get him. Let's say they don't get Mitchkov. They don't even get Fantilli. Flyers don't pick until fourth at best. All they talked about with John Tavares, John Tavares, with John Tortorella, (laughs) all they talked about with John Tortorella before the season began is he was worried about the room. This is John Tortorella taking control of the room 
This is him establishing a pecking order. This is him establishing who is in charge. And he's giving the team very clear instructions. And the Philadelphia Flyers are not playing John Tortorella hockey. I think we all get too caught up in the rough stuff portion of it. John Tortorella hockey is so much more than rough stuff. Uh, He tries to make it low event, um, other than lots of hits, um, tight, 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 tight. uh, And you allow your goalies to have a good time. Honestly, to some degrees, he's had some success. Um, The Flyers have been able to bounce back in terms of goaltending at at times, uh, at very least. Um, but they are paying for it because they can't score. And I, I saw an interesting observation from Jack Hahn, who used to be Marley's assistant coach, um, basically talking about, well, sometimes players cheat for offense on teams that can't score. And to that, I would say that's, that's perfectly valid reasoning for John Tortorella to scratch Kevin Hayes. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't care if if you think we're not playing a style of hockey that allows us to score, you will play my style of hockey or you will not play at all. That's what he's saying to Kevin Hayes. I don't care if you're the team's leading scorer. And also, if you're the team's leading scorer, uh, it's irrelevant. Do you outscore the competition? I can tell you at five on five, he does not. I know that from that handy little plus minus stat. <laughs> and uh, listen, the, the flyer, like forget a playoff spot. Forget it. You are one point ahead of the Sharks. Uh, you're three points ahead of the Coyotes who have played three fewer games. Like the, the, the Flyers are well into the basement of the National Hockey League. John Tortorella is there on a mission of mercy. Uh, and he is there to beat work ethic and attention to detail into this team. And anyone who's not on board with it can get lost. In some ways, he's Chuck Fletcher's best move. So that's Steve Dangle's opinion. Let's hear the opinion of your coworker, mm-hmm. Keith Yandel, who took to his Instagram and recorded a video in response to John Tortorella scratching Kevin Hayes. Okay, so today I woke up this morning to a little bit of some disheartening news that Kevin Hayes won't be playing tonight for the Philadelphia Flyers. And um, just one of those things I can't really wrap my head around, a guy that's leading the team in scoring. Um, you know, having played there, I know what he means to that locker room, the leadership that he brings, um, the enthusiasm that he brings. and. You know, I, I just it's hard for me to to realize that a guy like that won't be playing in a game because maybe a coach wants to get his point across, which is hard for me to see what the point is right now. Um, just even watching some of their games this year, it, it almost seems like like they're being out coached in a lot of those games that they're games that they could have won, and you know maybe a decision that the coaches make where. It cost them a game. So, you know, you talk about accountability and, um, you know, being there for the team. I think it's one of those things that, you know, is it time maybe a coach gets healthy scratch where 
you know, the, the responsibility is, is brought upon himself. I, Keith, Mr. Yandel, saying John Tortorella should be healthy scratched is a bit of a stretch. No, this is exactly, this is exactly why Kevin Hayes was scratched. This is exactly the way you see what he means to the locker room, what he means. Yeah. What better guy to make an example of what? And listen, I don't think it's nice. I don't think it's very nice at all. And it was against the Rangers too, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. That's a team where Kevin Hayes played for a long time. Like that stings. And you know, let's, let's address the elephant in the room. That's the sort of decision that we hammer Mike Babcock for all the time. (laughs) Um, You know, but it's the Philadelphia Flyers. They're in the Metro Division. They're going to play the Rangers again. Um, and uh, Tortorella's got a job to do. And he's getting his point across. And it'll be a tremendously unpopular one within the Flyers room. And, I mean, listen, generally speaking, teams don't hire John Tortorella because they love what's going on in the room. He's the fixer. He's the wolf, if you will. And uh, he's there for a reason. He's doing his job. I didn't think, like, initially when I saw this, the reaction is, what the hell? You're you're scratching the leading scorer. Imagine the Leafs scratched Austin Matthews. Like, what the hell is going on with John Torella? But if you, if you just take okay. a step back, you look at it, and you see, you see what Tortorella is doing with this team. His job is to fix the locker room. He, yep. He's not a fan of the collection of guys that they got in there and their effort that they're giving. And he's trying to get that right. It's not about winning games. It's about getting the right attitude out of the players. And I commend him for going to the nth degree to try and get that done because he doesn't give a fuck. He doesn't care what no. the reaction is going to be. He's just going to do what he thinks is right to get the team to the correct winning attitude so that when they are ready to win, he has the right collection of guys with the right attitude to get it done. And I commend him for that. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like, listen, uh, who knows? Maybe he's a complete asshole for doing that. That's not the way I read it, man. That's, that's not the way I read it. I mean, are we several John Tortorella coaching decisions away from the Flyers being even close to relevant? They have 27 points. I don't really think so, man. No. No. I don't think so. Uh, no coach are, could have made that team a playoff team. They're like, second last in the East right now, and they are 10 points back of a playoff spot. We are not a... Yeah, we're not several John Tortorella coaching decisions away. Um, and, like, we've also seen... Uh, th- there's a coaching decision that we often forget about. Um, because it was Babcock. I think this might have actually been one of the good developmental coaching decisions Babcock made when he was with the Leafs. That um, really young Leafs team, Matthew's rookie year, Marner's rookie year, they had the Centennial Classic outdoors against the Red Wings. Leafs are up 4-1. They blow it. It's 4-3. With a minute left, Babcock throws the kids out there. The kids at that time, uh, I think it was Matthews and either Marner or Nylander and Hyman. Um, Matthews and Hyman for sure. Uh, They were not taxed with shutting games down at that point. 
but he goes, you know what? I'm going to throw them out there for the final minute. Sink or swim. We'll see how they do. And with under a second to go, they allow the game tying goal. And that's what allowed it to get to overtime. But I mean, part of, you know, you've all been to school (laughs) and, you know, you can go to as many lectures as you want, but at some point you got to do the practical. And that was Babcock going, all right, here's the practical. Get out there, shut the game down. Leafs weren't able to do it. Now they were able to win it in overtime. And that's what everyone remembers the game for. And good. Hooray. But sometimes you put your team in a sink or swim scenario. And if Tortorella is making funny decisions, um, I think that might have something to do with evaluating the team and seeing if they sink or swim. And it sounds like they're doing mostly sinking. Did you mean to say practicum? No, practical. Practical? Is that practical. It? Practicum. I've never understood the difference or what practicum means. University just has several made up words that are not used anywhere outside of university. It's true. practicum. University is like its own little world. No, and the worst part of it is they'll just use those words like you're supposed to know them. Mm -hmm. It's really its own little universe. They just say them. Oh, yeah, your practicum project. And and then they continue the story. And here I am leaning to the person. What the fuck is a practicum project? (laughs) And I don't know. Anyway. Anyways. All Um, that to say, um, I don't hate this torts decision. Not at all. No, like, and and, and, I, and I don't hate Yandel, uh, like saying all that. He's sticking up for his guys. That's a guy who was in the locker room what a year and a half ago, or this past last season? year, last year, last, year. last yeah. year, yeah, yeah, last year was when he got he got healthy scratched um, to break the streak, and then he retired. You know his his Iron Man streak. That was the locker room it happened in. So he knows those guys very well, and I get it. I get his perspective on it, but like I think Tortorella's right on this issue. Yeah. 